0: I plan to go to law school after I graduated, but uh looks like my folks won't have enough money to put me through college. Well, the world needs ditch diggers, too.
1: Though I was called Ditch Digger Man, Paving for a living and doing the best I can. Discovered entrepreneurship, scaling business plans.
2: I became the CEO man. Are you ready to be mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world? Then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who will be telling their amazing, rags-to-riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires, many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with Golden Nuggets, of shared experiences from my guest whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school and with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years have generated over 1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this, if you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you wanna be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders, will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. Ditch Digger CEO, we've got uh, we've got a great one coming to you. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I got to tell you, this is a, there's never there's there's not a better time in the in in our history to have this conversation. When I look around and I talk to business leaders all over the country, the biggest challenge they have is keeping great people. Right, and some of them kind of get it, and, and they're they're still having problems, and some don't get it at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and I, I can say I'm a I'm a person that didn't get it for a long time. You know, I think you thought you pay people, you know, you pay people decent, and you, know, you give them a job. They're supposed to come to work, and that's all. You don't don't worry about culture and 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 values and all those things, right? But boy, today if you don't have that, you're in trouble. Yeah. You're in big trouble, and so uh, this this good buddy of ours, yours and mine, mm-hmm. uh, we've got today on Ditch Digger CEO, is uh, one of the one of the leaders in my mind when I think about culture and core values and building building enterprise value and businesses. Based on the people, right? yeah, and and, and uh, creating community, right? and, a, and a family, right, yep. within your business.
3: And now, and for me, when I started True Men- or when we started True Mentors, and you talking about servant leadership, uh, he's one of the best that I've ever seen do it. Um, we're blessed to have him as a true mentor, but more important, I remember sitting down with him, just telling him about like the passion. I mean, the goal that we have, and the first thing that he said was like, "Look, how can I help?" Like he didn't say, oh, I don't know about this and I don't know about that. The yeah, first thing yeah. he said was like, "How can I help?" And he's been an abundance of. Help. A lot of the mentees that have had the opportunity to meet this man. Literally, is just like, oh my gosh, he just empowered me to the nth degree. So I am so excited for today and just have him as a close friend.
2: Yeah. So and and again, when you think about it, you know, we we in our businesses, we have multiple businesses. Some of them pay, you know, really high wages. Some of them pay you know, mediocre wages, depending on what markets they're serving. Um, and, and, but, but all our businesses are, are, you know, paying double to quadruple minimum wage, right? I would say maybe even 10 times minimum wage in some cases, mm. right? When, when it comes to people working in the field, running our heavy equipment, whatever, right? They, they make pretty good money. And, and, and so for us, you know, we still struggle with that. When you look at the the hospitality industry, right, the catering industry, like Tom Walter, our buddy is in, is involved in here. Man, how do you do it? So these are the questions we're going to get out of our buddy today, and we're going and and the world's going to hear. Now, now Tom is a person that that uh, that I've seen speak in front of CEOs from from across the globe uh, recently. in at the Ritz Carlton a few months ago, um, we had a big event, had a huge budget, and my buddy who who, who ran the event. Uh, uh, picked tom as one of the main speakers and boy they they loved him so we're blessed to have tom here today tom walters our buddy welcome tom walters the ditch digger ceo baby
0: thank you it's good to be here with you gary and quentin i don't know if this build up whether i'm worthwhile <laughs> it's paved a hard road for me to follow here yeah.
2: Uh, we know we know it is, and uh, we're blessed to have you. So thanks for being here. You know, we we like to start from the from the from the beginning, Tom. So you know, we'll we'll get into all the 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 different things and culture and core values, all the things in, in your business and how you how you run your businesses and uh, the entrepreneurial mindset you have and you and you build in a lot of your team leaders and and business partners, right? But but we'd like to start from the beginning if we can. You know. We're, where did it come about? Where did this entrepreneurial mindset of yours come about? Uh, how'd you How'd you learn all these things? And and you know, let's, let's start with your upper upbringing first, if we
0: could. I'm uh, one of eleven children. I'm the second oldest of eleven children, and uh, our parents put us through Catholic schools, which means we didn't have enough money to eat properly. <laughs> yeah. So every night was uh, seemed to be boiled potatoes and stewed tomatoes out of a can. And rotten fish that the A&P was going to throw out. But through that childhood, I understood the value of uh, morality and ethics. Those things were beaten into our heads, literally and figuratively. And behaviors within an organization. 13 members in a small house, three-bedroom home. And uh, then I left home when I was 19 years old because I just couldn't stand being confined. And I felt too locked in, so I left to go out in the world and understand what goes on. Before I started my first business, I had been fired from every job that I had had because I didn't like bosses. <laughs> I didn't like people yelling at me, treating me like I was dirt. Most of them didn't even know my name, I thought my name had changed to Hey You, <laughs> and uh, there was no compliments, there was no job well done. So. I had an opportunity to start my own business. I I was a failure at school too, and I ended up being asked to leave college after one semester. So I decided that academia was not for me, and uh, being a worker was not for me, and I had a chance with two other guys to start a hot dog stand in Chicago. It was actually a suburb of Chicago, Niles. And I jumped at the opportunity. I went to my girlfriend, and I said to her, I dated her for a few years, and I said, I this opportunity to start a hot dog stand i need five thousand dollars and if you could lend it to me i'll pay you back in two and a half years and then we can get married <laughs> so my funding request is a marriage proposal but i said they go together I, I need the money <laughs> now you're how old at this point 19 i was uh, 22 years old again 22 years old and uh i started uh, we started about four months later in niles and uh, bought a partner out and then we moved into a full-service restaurant we opened up two more hot dog stands those were in Chicago Northwest side and the north side of Chicago
2: over a few year period
0: yes that was over three years and then uh, we took our chance with a full service restaurant beautiful restaurant it was a former fast food restaurant that we remodeled rehabilitated and turned into a what's known as a Greek restaurant full-service family restaurant with alcohol without alcohol that was my first business failure lost Close to seven figures in nineteen seventy-seven. I lost a lot of money. Wow! And uh, taught me a very valuable lesson about life, and that was because I hired the best bartenders I could fire. Not excuse me, we didn't have bartenders. The best chefs, the best servers, best hostesses, the best people from a skill set. And uh, my wife, who is a financial person, said to me, reviewing the p and she said, "You know, you're losing a lot of money." And I said, well, it's a new venture, top line is healthy, the bottom line will catch up. She says, no, they, it's not going to catch up. They're stealing from you, and you're too stupid to know that. Oh, wow. <laughs> and she was practical, and she was a financial person, and they were stealing from me, stealing a considerable amount of money. Everybody was stealing. It was a culture of theft. So the lesson that I learned was you hire people, not only for skill, but for who they are. What kind of uh, culture do they have? What kind of behaviors do they show? And so I learned about the value of culture, but it wasn't until almost 20 years later before it came to fruition that I really focused on culture. Then I went through some other businesses and uh, got into the bar business. At that time, I was, uh, I was about 27 or 28 years old, and uh, I have a problem with alcohol and drugs. And uh, I woke up one morning, and my wife was crying, and she said, uh, I said, what what did I do? (laughs) What's what's wrong with you? And she said, you don't remember what you did last night? And I says, I didn't hit you, did I? (laughs) Fear, afraid that I would have struck my wife, who I love very dearly. And uh, she says, no. And I said, why don't you just divorce me? I'm not any good. She said, why don't you go into detox, and we'll talk about it and hmm. two o'clock that afternoon she had me in detox and to this day I don't know what I did <laughs> she won't tell me <laughs> wow. I don't want to go back to drinking or drugs to find out but whatever it was it must have been pretty radical and this was at what age 27 a yeah, young guy wow. yeah so well I was in detox approximately that time I don't remember for sure and you were married about how long at this point about five years four years two years Two years, okay uh two, three, three years three or four years and we had no children we weren't able to have children right away so i was rehabilitating i read that uh, illinois had passed a law making 19 the legal age to drink beer and wine because of the crisis from vietnam and i'm old enough to go die but i'm not old enough to have a drink or vote yeah to change the law to 18 well they made liquor 19 of uh, beer and wine so my partner that I had still in business with, one of the partners I bought out, but the partner we're still in business with, suggested we open up a, uh, college bars. And so within a couple of years, we opened up three college bars. So I came home and told my wife, guess what, it's 19 to drink beer and wine, we're going to open up a college bar. I mean, that's like legalized drugs on a college <laughs> campus. Yeah. and. Uh, she said, are you crazy? I said, no, I'm not. Do you know how much money a sober and straight bar owner can make? <laughs> and we did. And we made a lot of money. And uh, so we went down by Loyola University. And, was right by Northwestern at 6600 North Sheridan, and opened up. But the Tribune at the time said it was the hottest bar in the city, hottest club in the city. It was a stunning place. Stevie Ray Vaughan played there the first time he played in Chicago. Wow. What, what was it, so it called? It was called originally it was called uh, Filthy McNasty's, and that was. Uh, That's hmm. a good name for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Great character <laughs> marketing too. Yeah, yeah. And then it was Jawbones, when it was a music bar, and we'd change it every two years, two or three years, so everyone would think it's a fresh new bar, let's go try it out. And the last iteration, it was Cheers, and we put in a sidewalk cafe with uh, two honey locust trees, because they grow very fast. It was about 4,000 square feet, and oak floors. It was stunning, a beautiful facility. But uh, it was doing very well, and my wife said to me, you don't drink, you don't smoke, and you say you're happily married. What do you like going to this bar for? Because <laughs> she came down one time and it was filled with beautiful college girls. <laughs> I was like 34 at the time. And I said, we're, gonna make a, we're making a lot of money, aren't we? And she said, money's not everything. And it made me start to think. Am I weakening my relationship with my wife? Mm. And so then one day, my son was about four years old. And I'm pulling out of my driveway to go. And I was working from like 10 o'clock in the morning until 4 o'clock in the morning. I uh, would go to the restaurants. We still had restaurants. i go to the restaurants and then i go to the nightclubs two nights a week. I looked in the rearview mirror of my car and saw my son crying in the driveway. And he was sobbing. And I stopped my car and I went back and I said, got down on my knees and I said, what's wrong, Tim? And he said, how come you're never home?
3: Mm.
0: And as I drove into the city, I realized what my father had told me the night before I got married. He said, you're here on earth to get your wife to heaven. That's how God's going to judge you, not on how much money you make or what you do in business. And uh, when you have children, you're here on earth to get your children to heaven. And unbelievably, coincidentally, my wife said after she had her baby, and Quentin, remember this now, because okay, you're going to be a dad very soon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my wife said, why don't we make our vision in our marriage to get our children to heaven, and why don't we make our mission doing what it takes to get the children to have and give them that opportunity. So as I drove into the bar that day, I realized that my son was more important than anything else and it was time to sell. So within a short period of time, I sold the businesses in the city, probably about 90 days, and opened up fast food restaurants in the suburbs, starting with Tasty Dog in Oak Grove Village. And through many other companies and businesses, we ended up, Tasty Dog became Tasty Catering, and that's where I am today.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: So wow. that's
0: how we got here
2: that's amazing did your your son was four years old then yes, and and, you, and he, he realized then he could see then that he wasn't seeing his dad enough that's
0: yes, awesome. crying, sobbing uh, and uh, he then when he was six and seven, he would call me up on Saturdays at work and said, "Why don't you go home? We could do something <laughs> Man. Dad. and so I would get up from my desk and I go home
3: so so if you don't uh, what would probably be one of the biggest uh, lessons for uh, again a, a person who's starting a business or maybe not even a position where they're making a million dollars yet they're still just getting their feet wet but they may have a family or they're out there uh, really working hard what would you see from those experiences uh those shared experiences can you give us like look if there was one thing you need to just kind of think about you know what what would that be um just from the experience that you just kind of told us
0: i think a entrepreneur business owner that has a family has to make priority decisions. We do that in our professional life all the time. What's the most important problem we have? What's today's biggest pressing issue? And we anticipate this. That's what makes us successful business leaders. But in my opinion, I came from an unhappy family life when I was a child. There wasn't, uh, I mean, we lived in abject poverty. There wasn't go to bed hungry at night, uh, fighting to get an extra piece of toast in the morning, physically fighting with brothers and sisters. And I wanted to just have a happy family. The thing that propelled me was happiness. And I had a friend, I have a new friend from Dallas, Texas that flew up on his golf stream last week. First time I've ever been able to give, take a tour at someone's private jet, it was very nice. <laughs> and, um, and he came up to talk about, he's having a problem with his son. His son's about my son's age. And he, he is very successful, very wealthy. And he doesn't have a son. He's got three girls and a son, and his son is uh, estranged. And I felt the pain as I'm driving him back to the airport after visiting my son and my daughter's businesses. He said to me, you know, I have everything I need financially. I've achieved everything materialistically, and it cost me my son. Mm. and I envy you for what you have. And I said, well, I don't have your money, <laughs> but I certainly have happiness. And I think you know we have to make a decision as business owners. What is going to make us happy? And some people, I think, are so, uh, sociopaths, but some business owners don't care about their families. They just care yeah. about the money. Well, God bless them if that's what drives them and motivates them, but why did you have to have family in the first place? Make that decision early. So that's my I thought. That's,
3: Q, all, that's That's really good. Wow.
2: Yeah, well, and if your and if your you know mission is to to get those kids to heaven, like you said, well, gosh, if you're you're not spending time with them, it's not going to be not going to be very easy to do that, right? Correct. If you're not with them enough. If you're not showing them, you're, you know, you're not leading by example yourself on a daily basis, then boy, that that mission's not not going to be accomplished very easily, right?
0: Yeah, and, and the beauty is, you know, we have children, and Q, Quentin, you're almost there, but you know, to watch my son, who's far more successful than I am financially. To watch him interplay with his two young boys, seven and eight years old, I can tell that the most important thing in his life is his family. Awesome. And I thought as a father and as a business leader, the one thing I did teach him is the importance of family. Mm -hmm. So I just spent five days in Wisconsin with my whole family, my daughter, my son, grandchildren, wife, daughter-in-law. And I sat there just observing and marveling over I don't care so much about the businesses. That's like a game, right? (laughs) Business is just a game. You play the game every day. And sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but it's the game. And uh, we have the disease. You know, entrepreneurs have a disease. And the disease is the thrill of the victories. But the biggest thrill of my life, I reflected on this, was sitting there saying, those grandchildren are laughing and being happy because of something my wife and I did. Actually, it was my wife's pushing to say, let's get our kids to heaven.
2: Hmm. That's awesome. That's awesome, and and uh, for sure, if if you're if that's your goal, it's a not it's not an easy goal as it is, right? I mean, and and when you look back, I I, I look forward and say someday I'm going to be in those last days of my life, and when I when I'm in th- when I'm in the, that in that bed or wherever I'm at, I'm not going to be thinking about that the 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 plane I was able to buy someday <laughs> or the. Or the fancy cars I was able to drive, or the nice house I, I built. Right, you're just not going to think about those things. You're going to think about your family. Your you, how are your kids going to be without you? Your wife, how's she going to be without you? And 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 will you see them in heaven? And those are things you're going to be thinking about, not the stuff. Right, this stuff is all temporary. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it Doesn't really just like you know the the jet your friend has. That's a coo- that's pretty cool, right? That's a pretty cool. You know, thing to to, to to be at a point in your life where you need a jet to fly around for business or whatever it might be or for fun, whatever it is. But boy, if you don't have your kids, the, the, you know you're you're putting this earth to raise great people, and if you didn't do that, or you're, you're struggling to do that, that, that's it's not worth it. It's not worth the jet. It's not worth the, the yacht. It's not worth any of that. So, uh, that's that's awesome perspective. So,
0: yeah, there was an old man that told me uh, early on in my entrepreneurship career. He said, "You know, this all comes to an end. We all die sooner or later." And same thing you said about being on your deathbed, Gary. You know, think about what you want people to say in your eulogy. What do they want to talk about? How many cars you have, your <laughs> yacht, your plane, or what you did as a human being? Mm-hmm. And that propels me all the time. What do I want to be remembered for? What's my legacy? If you're going to spare yourself some grief and you're going to have a selfish moment, what do I want people to know me as? Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the beginning, it was very important to have a nice car, you know. I'm sure you guys though You could drive yeah. around your friends, you had a nice car or a nice house, and invite <laughs> them over to say, ha, 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 all my extra hard work is yeah. worthwhile. You get off at 5 o'clock, I work till 11 or 12. <laughs> but that passes quickly, you know. After a while, it becomes moot.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, it, 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 most people would give back all the stuff for more time well, if they, it, at, at that point in their life, right, when yes. they're in their last days most of would look back and say man I, 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 how much time how much of that stuff would i give back for more time with my wife and my kids and my friends right exactly you know, i think i think most so again it's hard to look forward you don't want to look forward to that day but boy if, if you do and reflect backwards it it, it uh, shines a light on what you really who you really want to be right so
0: yeah and I, and I think as in work i think in our families if we're the leader of the family if we're truly the leader and we are leaders who wouldn't start businesses eventually some i've seen some friends who are business owners and have families relinquish the family lead to their wife and then resent their wife because she's domineering and in charge well it was up to you let her do this you forgot what your role was in the marriage you know it doesn't make any difference who's the dominant but if you were originally the dominant and he's upset it's your fault and then if your kids go away from you and they end up on alcohol or drugs because they're looking for love and they're looking in all the wrong places it's your fault. Mm. It's my fault. Yeah. It's our fault as leaders. So I just don't want to have those regrets. You know, if I lose money in a business, who cares? <laughs> yeah. I lose my child, my son, my daughter. No, that's not happy.
2: Yeah. Nothing's worth that for sure.
3: No, sir. So if you could, let's talk about the, 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 uh, early, early, the early days of tasty catering. How did that look? You know, um, how was that going? You know, you transition from tasty dogs to tasty catering, you know,
0: yeah, the split was caused because uh, fast food became a red ocean, to use a term from about 15 years ago. The blue oceans, we went out to do something in catering because everybody was becoming a fast food restaurant. And Dick Portillo, I couldn't match him. At one point, I had more units than Dick Portillo, but he, he rapidly expanded. <laughs> and uh, he's a great man, and he did a, his company is my favorite fast food place to eat. But we realized that this was not growing. And it was so demanding. And someone asked us to do a company picnic. And then people asked us to do deli trays and box lunches. And we found out that we could control our destiny. We could control food costs. We knew exactly how much the catering aspect would be. So after two years of this, we branched off and started Tasty Catering. And uh, it was a beautiful run for many years. And then during the slowdown of the economy, About six years ago, seven years ago, the National Restaurant Association talked to their members and said, you all should be caterers because there's a lot of money in caterers. And so instantly we had 2.5 million competitors. And now we have Uber Dash or Uber Eats, and we have DoorDash, and we have all these places that are encroaching in the catering market. And so we had to find a differentiator. So the differentiator from fast food became catering. Then how do we differentiate ourselves from all these other people that portray themselves as caterers? And that took a lot of time and effort to create a brand image that was unique and stood alone. And it was the work of our creative agency, New Fork, that only does caterers and venues all over the country, but they are specifically marketers for catering. And they came up with a very simple statement, and your people are your differentiator. Mm. And it's your culture that's the differentiator. And it was our people that created the culture after a cultural revolution. So that's the, the path that we've been following to become a differentiator is, is the value of our culture and our people.
2: That book uh, Blue Ocean Strategy I talk about every once in a while because it's, it's one of my favorite little you know books that I've read in the past and I read it a few times over the years just to kind of you know just to continue to think you know what differentiates us from everybody else in the world and, and uh, it, it sounds like a simple thing differentiation but it's not. I mean if you really put your your heart into it, uh, it takes a lot of work and you'll find something that makes you so different mm-hmm. that people want you instead of the other guys, right? Uh, otherwise, you're in that red, bloody, shark-infested water, right? In- instead of the blue ocean swimming yeah. by yourself. So I, I, I love that book and I, I love the fact he you brought that up because it's one of my favorites. You know, Anybody could read it and say, gosh, that makes sense. And it's not just differentiation in your business, right? It's differentiation in you what makes you different so that so your wife when you come home says wow i got i got a great husband he's he's a little different, right? But he's a great <laughs> husband. There's, you know, there's why he's different. There's why I love him. Or, or in, in I hope she says that, Gary. My, I hope my wife says that too. But, uh, you know, oh, no, no, she definitely says I'm different. No? Yes. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. She so also different. loves you very much. Maybe not. always a good thing for her. But, but either way, I, I think that differentiation, all all parts of your life, are a big deal. Whether it's your, per, you know, personally, your business, um, uh, philanthropic, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. You, know, you want to be different. Otherwise, uh, you're you're just part of the part of the crowd. Yes, so that's a great point.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that. What are some of your other favorite books? As long as we're talking about that,
2: yeah, for me, I, I got a lot. Books. I've got a lot of books. I, I I don't read many of them, but I, I like the, the the covers, and I like. <laughs> I do have a lot of books that people give me. I, I I have time to read on planes, so I'll read you know maybe a, a half a dozen books or a dozen books a year or something like that. But uh, one I really and one I talk about also is. Um, uh, is a startup nation. Yes, um, I love that. You know, that's a book I read uh, maybe two years ago, and I'll, I'll go back to that every once in a while because it's just a—it's a great book. It's all about this little country that, with with uh, what was a you know couple million people, now only six and a half million people that dominate per capita, dominate um, uh, the world of entrepreneurship and business and innovation, and that's Israel, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So I love that book. I love to think about you know what we could be uh, if we thought like. Uh, the, the Israelis that that had that goal of being the startup nation, right, mm-hmm. and 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 creating innovation and and the best CEOs in the world, right. So, so, that's a great book. But I've you know many many books I like, but that those 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 two stand out for, through our conversation so far.
0: I think that's one of the keys for young people to that they should ask uh, mature entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs that have made a niche that they want to emulate. So, what books do you read? You know, mm-hmm. What was it that fed your thought process to become who you are? What was your influencer? What was your direct influence? Right. So it's something I like asking business leaders. So,
2: so we're asking you today now. So what, <laughs> what's your favorite book or, book, or books? Uh, some, Besides the couple you've read that read, uh, you've written, excuse me, that no, you've, you've written that are excellent books. but uh, uh, Let's not talk
0: about those. Let's, let's talk commercial. about what
2: you like first, and then we'll talk about those. I,
0: I think customer service in a nutshell was a seminal one for how people expect to be treated. And I think that book, uh, One Minute Manager, certainly mm-hmm. had its mark in the 80s. Yeah. That was the hottest book of all. And people then stopped wanting to be an Oreo cookie. Someone <laughs> said to me one day, I'm not an Oreo cookie, because the premise is be very nice to someone. That's the, the dark bottom. Then the creamy filling is the the nasty things that you say. Well, you need to correct this, and you need to correct <laughs> that. And the final the final part of the cookie, the top of the cookie is, but I know you're going to be very good, because you got a great future. So eventually, because that book became so popular, everybody became attuned to it. Never saying "I don't want to be an Oreo cookie." Don't talk uh, to yeah. me like I'm a cookie. Yeah. Huh. But uh, "Good to Great" was powerful for us, yeah. and uh, it's something that our employees asked us to read and have the whole company read. And they built our culture on "Good to Great." And the book now, in my stage of this, of this stage of my life, is uh, "Finish Big" by Bo Burlingham. Mm-hmm. How do we transition out? And I think every entrepreneur needs to start reading that in their fifties and understand the premises. <coughs> So
2: and and that book you know uh, so finishing big uh, great book and and not only to, to sell someday or, or to, you know monetize what you've built but also to replace yourself if you get hit, you get hit by a boss I mean and, and and not just that but to create enterprise value in your business right Correct. if if you're the only reason for the value there's no value. It, you're just you've built a job for yourself. I don't care how big the business is. If it's reliant on you, you've built a job, right? Compared to you know that, that book talks about you know transitioning and selling your business. But boy, my opinion today, and it wasn't you know ten years ago, 15 years ago is build every business that with, with a leader that can be replaced simply, very easily. If it's you especially, right? Uh, but in every business, the, the leader should be able to be replaced. Otherwise, there's really no value to that business, as you think it might be, right?
0: Absolutely correct. And listeners, what Gary just mentioned is a nugget. He is so correct. And I think that's why Gary has started so many businesses, because he develops the leaders, not just the business. He develops a leader and that's critically important it, it took my ego a long time to realize that gary you're fortunate because you're a younger guy by far to come up with that conclusion and you know right there is the foundation of why gary rebine is successful
2: you now we're, we're always learning we're trying i'm not not we're not great at any of this stuff but boy we, if we keep trying and, and realize we're not too we're not we're not that great at things yeah. we're talking about we'll get better right so <laughs> we we've got we've got great leaders in our businesses and Every one of them is striving to 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 groom that number two, and whether they're there yet or not, they're striving to right and uh and they and they know the value of that for themselves as well and their family right so yeah
0: and yeah, number two is the key for number one's happiness, and uh, if you don't want to develop yeah. number two and number two should be developing number three, yeah, and three should be developing number four and if you don't have two or three layers of succession being groomed right now, you have an issue, you have a problem
2: yeah. That's like uh, yeah, in Austin Powers, he had Mini-Me, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he number, number
0: two. <laughs> oh, that
2: wasn't number two, though, was it? That was Mini-Me. That was just Mini-Me. He had, he had a number two <laughs> also, didn't he? <laughs> yeah.
3: um, so, and I, I, know, I know your story briefly, but can you talk about the, the change that happened? Because like, you know, when you started Tasty Catering, how was the culture then, and how was it? And then obviously, you know, the story of, <clears throat> um, you know, two people coming to you, but how was the culture before... That happened, and then when that happened, what transpired and what implementations occurred in order to get you to some of the things that you have today?
0: I was uh, the second oldest of those 11 kids. As the oldest boy, my older sister fled to the convent and became a Catholic Dominican nun. And my father was a World War II Army sergeant, so he told me that responsibility has to be one of my major traits because I'm responsible for my younger brothers and sisters. And every time he would come home from work and they hadn't fulfilled their chores, I got disciplined. (laughs) because I hadn't learned how to be responsible for them. So I had to learn how to cajole, give instructions. And, of course, in a family like that, for every action, there's a reaction. Every time I said, you need to do this, I'd hear why I'm not doing it. I know Dad's going to hit you. (laughs) You (laughs) So I got called out on that, and I had to figure out a way to make them work. It's also part of the reason why I left. I got tired of being responsible for nine little snotty noses (laughs) and full diapers. (laughs) But in business, I had become my father, and I had become that person that I kept quitting jobs or getting fired from. Actually, I got fired from more. I think I got fired from every job. I don't think I ever quit a job. I think I just got fired. Well, you weren't a quitter anyway. No, I was going to make my point, (laughs) darn it. I was going to protest, and I was going to let this inhumane treatment of your employees sucks, (laughs) but it didn't get me anything other than fired. But I had become that, Quentin. I had become exactly that. I had become this tyrannical jerk. And I had two brothers who were my partners. Brother number seven, number child number seven, and child number 11 became my partners. But it was my money because I had the long history of ownership. And so I had a clause put in our corporate resolutions that it takes two-thirds of the brothers, to, two of the votes to, to have something pass, and one of them has to be mine. <laughs> so I had the nuclear vote. And uh, so I was very content in the fact that I could call for a vote and it would go my way unless they abstained and then I just dissolved the company but this power was because I wanted it to be successful and I thought I knew better me and my 60,000 thoughts a day I know I know mm-hmm. things and what I didn't know was what an idiot I looked like from mm-hmm. the outside I do, I wasn't mindful I didn't learn about mindfulness and positive thinking about who I am, critical thinking about who I am, until that fateful day of November 28, 2005, when two millennials came to my desk and said, if I didn't change, they were leaving. And I said, change what? They said, we don't like command and control. We're not going to work for command and control. And I said, what do you want? And that's where I got the introduction of the book, Good to Great. And we read that as a company. But that change happened and it may become instantly, I mean, within that day, I become more reflective on who I was and how I appeared as a human being. Not who I thought I was, but how, how does Quentin view me? How does Gary view me? Versus what does Tom think about who Tom is? And, you know, today, I, I don't look in the mirror as I walk in a building to see if I look good because I know I'm old and ugly. <laughs> but I do know that if I don't make eye contact, and if I don't listen, and if I don't hear what people are talking to me, I appear as a self-centered jerk. And so so that's an example of what these young people taught me. And I became a servant to them because I realized they knew how to run a business better than I did. Actually, they didn't know how to run a business better. Let me retract that. They knew how to, to interface with people better than I did. And I've always considered myself an introvert, Back of my shirt right now is soaking wet from this interview and talking to you. This conversation.
2: And, and by the way, you do it. He does it all the time. I mean, he's <laughs> asked to do this all the time.
0: Uh, and that's why I always wear a jacket.
3: Because <laughs> back of my shirt's dripping wet. On, on average, how many? How many? To, not to get off track, but how many uh, speaking engagements do you think you do a year?
0: Between forty and sixty, I think. I've never actually counted them, but I think that's the. It, maybe it feels like a hundred. Yeah. Uh, it does. It's a lot, but this this change that. Uh, happened then set the the future it took us a year to change but my heavens what an unbelievable change in relationships and in business and productivity you know when i walked into your building today gary i had told uh, i told a, a young man who i think highly of who's interning with us joe weber and i told him about how you can judge a company by their values and if the values aren't displayed and if the chief if the vice president first and I can't even think right, the vice president of first impressions was the receptionist. Doesn't know your values. Mm-hmm. The company's got a problem. Yeah, and we walked into the to the office here today, Gary, and Joe pointed out, "There's the values. There's their values." And that's why I like Gary, <laughs> and that's why I like everybody that works with Gary because they understand the values and. I didn't know my values, and one of the things I tell young people when I speak, I speak a lot at universities, is before you go to bed tonight, I ask them to do three things. One of the things is write down three to five values that you will never compromise in your life. Understand who you are, not what you are. Who are you? And if you're going to be successful in life, you're going to write those down. And every morning when you wake up, as you have coffee, say those values. So it becomes part of your identity. And then people... You know, business is eighty percent who you know and twenty percent what you know. And all things being equal, people do business with people they like. Right. So it, why don't you be let the world know who you are? So I went on Absol- for a long time. No, trip. that's yeah, awesome. That's,
2: that's really awesome. And 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 the thing, you know, it it took you a while. It took me a long time as well. It took me really. Uh, we've been in business for thirty, boy, oh boy, 30, 37 years. You know, thirty, thirty-seven years now, and. Uh, since I was 18, so when I look at my values today, right, they mean a lot to me. They mean a lot to everybody on our team. We talk about them a lot. Uh, we lead by them. We we, we, uh, we fire by them, right? We hire by them. And, well said. And, 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 but I didn't do this even seven, eight years ago. I didn't do that, right? We had them. We had them on the wall in a couple spots. We had them on our marketing. But but it didn't really mean that much because we didn't live by them as well as as we should have, right? So again, I, I think it's it's great for a guy like you that to, to be speaking to young people and young business leaders all over to to, to tell your story, because you know how how more, how much more successful would would you would you be today? How many how many more job jobs would you have created? Um, uh, how many more good things could you have done if you had these you had these values stamped in your brain and everybody everybody that worked for you back. 30 years ago, right? You I mean,
0: and I both know that answer, Gary. Significantly more. Significantly more, significant. more right? It, it's something that no one ever told us, though. Was no. it? We had to learn it the hard way, and then we realized the value of it, the importance of it.
2: Yeah, yeah. We you know, originally thought it was just, a, you know, we better do this because it's good marketing, right? Mm-hmm. These big customers will want to deal with us if we say this who we are. And we kind of are these things, we think, right? But if you're not talking about them, leading by them, and all that, you're really not. And so nowadays we do it, and boy, I tell you what, we're our – our, our uh, satisfaction of our of our teammates here is at, a, at all-time high we make the these different lists of great places to work and all that more than we ever had before we couldn't ever even attempt to before right so it's it's a lot of fun and and, and by the way it, it turns into bottom line as well right and, and you don't even don't even have to think about that but it turns into bottom line it as well you, you're not rehiring uh, 30 40 50 percent of your workforce every year. What does that save you in dollars? It's huge dollars, right? You, you and I both know that. Uh, so that, yeah. So, that, so let's let's get into this these these values of yours and and uh, you know how how do you live by them? How do you how do how do you, how does your team think about those on a daily basis? And tell us about that.
0: Well, we we hire and fire, and I'm so happy you brought that up. Firing based on the values. Everybody that's been fired in the last 10 years from Tasty Catering knows which values they broke consistently because they're written up for it and then they're terminated. And uh, the last person I personally terminated, as I closed the door, he says, I'm being fired because I violated this value. (laughs) I said, yes, you are. (laughs) He says, could I just retire? (laughs) I said, well, you could do whatever you want. You could quit, but you're no longer working here. And he called me back up a couple months later and said, could I have my job back? I realized now what I was missing. I said, no. Once you've been terminated, you're terminated. But I wished him well, and I tried to find a job for him because he was a good person. He just violated a value consistently because it was part of his behaviors. It was Mm -hmm. part of the way he grew up. Maybe it was survival mode, maybe, whatever it was. I'm not a psychologist or psychoanalyst, so I don't know. But we hire and fire according to values. And I knew nothing about values in 2005. And now I've studied so much about values because they made me chief culture officer and I was in charge of this culture. And I found out that we all tend to, to hang with people, colloquial term, hang, but participate with people that share our values. So when I was into drugs, when I was in my teens and then it was the 60s, the summer of love and everybody's getting high, <laughs> tuning in, dropping out. I was with all my druggie friends, right? And then when I got busted, I got arrested for drugs. And then I went to the drinking friends and they were a different sort, but at least drinking was legal to a point. <laughs> And then, as I got to soccer with my children, I was with all the soccer dads and soccer moms, and we get all—we share these values. But it never occurred to me to build a business based on shared values. <laughs> <laughs> never occurred to me because I was going to run that business like my father ran me, right? Yeah, yeah. But not the way employees wanted to be treated. And so, long story short, after the conversion, we started hiring by the values and uh, adhering to the values and. We repeat our core values uh, before every meeting of five people or more, and we repeat all seven of them. And it becomes conscious because we're speaking it, and it sets the tone for the meeting. Then it becomes subconscious, and it becomes subliminal. It becomes our behavior. Subliminal is the way we act. Mm-hmm. And you know, I liken this to when I was a Boy Scout. First of all, I'm a Catholic, so I said the Ten Commandments until I... All I remember is six and nine were something about lust, and I didn't believe those because I was a <laughs> lustful kid. <laughs> but, you know, I realized the commandments made me behave the way I was behaving. And then I became a Boy Scout, and I repeated the Boy Scout oath. And I used to do it pretty well in repeating, I can't today. On my honor, I will do my best to do my duty or something to God, and mm-hmm. my fellow man. So that's the way I behaved in Boy Scouts. And then when I got into AA, we repeated it before every meeting, and I know The 12 steps, step one is I'm powerless over alcohol. So I said that enough to realize I am. (laughs) You know, guess what? I am powerless. If I don't drink, if I don't take a drink, I have power over it. But if I take a Mm -hmm. drink, I'm powerless. So it came to me one day when I was not, the culture wasn't developing a taste. Why don't we repeat these and repeat them and repeat them and repeat them? So some companies have them on the wall, but they never say them. And if you don't verbalize them, I mean, some of us learn through writing i like to learn through writing because as i'm writing i'm analyzing some learn through speaking i'm not mm-hmm. very good at that i'm good at memorizing, and repeat but by by having everybody in the company say it over and over and over again it just becomes the way you are and the funny part is you know as you mentioned gary and q you mentioned that the marketing company you know our marketing people market our values as a hook an extra differentiator but our marketing company, New Fork, was very clear about that. We are our values. Our values are us. They're inseparable. That's the way we are. So we started getting applicants because of our value. You know, as, mm-hmm. as you've done, Quint. I mean, you've done Gary, you've won awards for your culture and your people. Uh, I'll never forget the day a beautiful young lady, very fashionable young lady, walked in the door at of our office, and I sat right by the front door and I greeted her and she said, I'm here for a job interview with uh, Tony. I'd like to see Tony Sansoni for a job as an event planner. I'm thinking, we don't have any jobs open. (laughs) What's he doing hiring? So they went and met, came back, and she left. And I says, Tony, what are you hiring an event planner for? I didn't know we had any jobs open. He says, we cannot afford not to hire her. She graduated from the University of Southern California. She lives in Libertyville. She's an event planner. She graduated from a great hospitality management program. And she's heard about our culture and she wants to work here because of our culture. And I told her we didn't have any job openings. And she said, I'll work as an intern, an unpaid intern. I just want to experience wow, this. That's Why, awesome. That's awesome. Well, I learn hospitality management. And I said, We can't, we have to pay her because that's unethical to take her talents without paying her. So we paid her $15 an hour. Three months later, it was Christmas and we're having this great meeting about how we're going to handle all the Christmas crush. And it came to me that we hadn't hired Nikki full-time. And I said, has anybody hired Nikki? No. Stop the meeting until she's on board. We're not going to talk any further. Get her on board. <laughs> so this young lady came on full-time at Christmas. In February, it was a terrible February, and we were, uh, all of our hourly staff were at reduced wages because there was no business. It was snowing. It was well below zero. I'm walking out with Nikki. We're the last two of the building. And she turns to me and she says, Tom, why don't you just lay me off? Because I can live with my parents and you can use my salary. To feed the people that aren't working. I feel so sad about their families. Wow! And I gave her a hug and I said, you know, probably inappropriate to hug somebody today, but I <laughs> gave her a hug and I said, you're, you're not leaving us. You're the kind of person I want to build this company on. And uh, I said, we need sales and we need you. And uh, so then she turned all of her energies into getting sales to bring these people back. The interesting part is I was gone for a while and I came back and was another new event planner and I knew we had a position open with this young lady sitting there and I had lunch with her and I said her name's Michelle and I said how did you get here Michelle tell me your path to come to Tasty and she says well my best friend told me she loved her job and I never loved a job in my life mm. and I said how can you love a job it's a job and then she said there's a position open why don't you apply I applied and you hired me your company hired me I said, "Who's your friend?" She says, "Nicole, Nikki. (laughs) We've been friends since fifth. We were five years old Mm in kindergarten together. And so, it that was just one small story about how culture attracts people, like-minded people, and it keeps them engaged. You know, there's four elements to culture. Why it it, it engages people, it attracts people, and uh, keeps that loyalty together. And so, our whole I'm very proud of our special event team. They're all young ladies because who wants you know they design weddings very well and they do. And they're all in their 20s and they all have college degrees in hospitality management but they're all same culture mm-hmm. different ethnic backgrounds different religious backgrounds different personalities but they're all grounded on that common denominator of culture and behaviors That's awesome
3: so you say there's four elements of culture can you elaborate on that a little bit i was
0: afraid as soon as i said that <laughs> you call me on that <laughs> i'll do my best uh i don't know if i could do this accurately but One, it underpins competitive advantage financially because there's no time lost in hiring new people, turnover, training new people, all those turnover rates diminish. And so it underpins financial performance. It attracts and retains top talent. People wanna work with people that are just like them. And I don't mean, I just mean in behaviors. People wanna work in a place where the people behave according to the expected norm of behavior. It's a differentiator. Other people in our industry might have chicken champagne and barbecue brisket and beef, but nobody has our people. And so our culture is a differentiator. And I think if you looked at The Wedding Wire and The Knot and Yelp, I think if you look at the reviews on Tasty Catering, almost invariably the first thing mentioned is our people. They have great staff. Their employees are phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And by the way, their food's good, because food's expected to be good, right? (laughs) You're a catering company. But what's not expected is that you have awesome people. And that's what the big shock is for for companies. So, I think those are only three. And I'm sorry, I missed the fourth Can one.
3: Can you say those again?
0: No, gosh darn it! <laughs> Tried to <laughs> escape on that one. It uh, attracts, attracts, and retains top talent. Okay. All right. uh, it uh, underpins competitive advantage. It's a differentiator. Okay. And uh, it uh, produces higher profitability. And the fourth one is higher financial reward. And the fourth one is, is that it engages employees and increases the discretionary th- thinking.
2: If you enjoy this show, please share it with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, DitchDiggerCEO.com for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at ditchdiggerceo. And at Gary Rabine. If you listen to our show and want to become more successful, you will become more successful. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Lord, I was called the
1: Digger Man Aiming for a living and doing the best I can Discovered entrepreneurship, scaling business plans Then I became the CEO man We're blessed to build a business in America Where soldiers fight for our freedom every day Dad's work ethic was taught from the seat of a gravel truck Rolling down Highway 31 Lord, I was called a Digger Man Best I can Discovered entrepreneurship Scaling business plans Then I became the CEO man